0: Wes, you're not still using that filthy top, are you? Oh, gosh, no. Basic top?
1: I... HTOP, come on, at least.
0: Maybe back in the 80s. Well, Wes, I want to introduce you to VTOP. VTOP. Yeah, it's got all the top. It looks so good. Now, it's a little heavy, but uh, it's probably in your local package manager or you can install with NPM. It's a graphical activity monitor for the command line. It's pretty slick, dude. Uh, If you have NPM, you can just do NPM install-G VTOP, but I installed it right here on my machine.
1: Hey, yeah, you did.
0: I don't got a lot going on right now, but you can go through the different processes. Uh, You can look at your memory usage. You get a real-time graphical representation of your CPU. You, (laughs) pretty cool. Not bad. Yeah, look at this. Things are, jeez, Chrome, man. Chrome's got thirty-four threads going right now. It's using thirty-three point nine percent of my system's RAM.
1: You know, all a computer is as a web browser these days.
0: This is Linux Unplugged, episode two hundred and three for July eleventh, two (laughs) thousand seventeen. Ooh, welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's installing and upgrading distributions like some kind of maniac. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello Wes. Hello, sir. Very excited about today's show. Any day that we get to cover a new big distribution release is a good day. Fedora 26 is here! It was released this morning and we've been installing it on systems all day long. And Not even
1: our own systems. Whoops.
0: I know. I <laughs> wait, whoops. Uh-oh. <laughs> And Matt from the Fedora project will join us to cover the new release and, and explain why we maybe accidentally installed it on his laptop. It was, sorry, sorry about Our that. Our bad. Sorry about that. Yeah. Also, we've got a bunch of great community news. Everything from uh, some Ubuntu shenanigans to new software projects that we think are super cool and updates coming for you Steam users that are I don't know you might say many many years overdue. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. We'll talk about that. Then we're also going to get geeky with NFS, NF tables. Oh, sorry,, yeah, not to confuse you with NFS. I'm talking about uh. NF tables, the replacement for uh, IP tables. It's been billed as a performant alternative, the next generation IP tables. But uh, has that really been tested? It looks like a red hat engineer took it to the uh, took it to the benchmark. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some, some testing that he did to really throw uh, both NF tables and IP tables through the wrenches and see how the performance were different, see where one maybe performed better. It's actually very fascinating. There's a
1: lot, of, a lot of details in there.
0: Yeah. You found a good one this week, Wes. So we'll talk about that, too. <clears throat> but we sort of have to get to something right off the top here. We've got to bring in the mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room.
1: Greetings. Oh, greetings. to see you.
0: Greetings. Hello, hello, hello. And a special hello to Matt from Fedora. Hey, Matt.
2: Hi there. Glad to be here.
0: Sir, it is, always, it is always good to welcome you back to the show. I, I always I always love talking to you. So Matthew Miller is the Fedora project leader. He's been on the show uh, for the last couple of releases of Fedora, just about here or there. And today is Fedora 26's release day with lots of things that are obviously coming into Fedora 26 from upstream. Uh, new development tools like GCC7, Golang 1.8, Python 3.6. Nice. New partitioning tool in Anaconda, the installer. Um, also, there is the, uh, the uh, new LX cute yeah. version of the spin. It's got kernel 4.11.8, ships with GNOME 3.24 and all of its new fancy features. LibreOffice 5.3, Fedor MediaWriter has gained ARM support. So if you want to write the Raspberry Pi versions. Builder now supports things like Flatpak and Rust and the cute Atwadia theme has gotten lots of improvements to make it match the DTK version, including support for dark mode. I mean, this is sounding like a great release, Matt. Have I I missed anything that's your favorite new feature?
2: Uh, So one thing I think is pretty neat is we have a new Python classroom spin. Mm -hmm. um, Which, So one of the things we do, it's actually a lab. We've divided things up into spins and labs now. Mm -hmm. The spins are desktop environments, and the labs are kind of use-focused things. So the Python lab... It's basically a classroom environment in a vagrant box or a Docker container or a live USB stick that is basically pre set up to get your classroom ready to go to teach Python or a bunch of like scientific computing things based around Python. Oh wow,
1: uh, that's that's really I could definitely see that in a classroom somewhere.
2: Yeah, and uh, I really like this because um, as a project, we've been looking a little bit at uh, our mission and what we want to do to you know what makes Fedora unique and special and um we came up with a new mission statement which i cannot say off the top of my head although it is um yeah it's uh but uh the basic idea is we build a platform that enables our contributors and other softwareers to Uh, make solutions for users. And so this is a great example of here's some things that some contributors did. This wasn't a a top-down, like, let's make a Python thing, but some people who are involved in Fedora wanted to do this, and we provide the tooling and stuff to make a uh, kit like that. And I'd like to see a lot more of those kind of things for special use cases.
0: Hmm. So there's a few things that have sort of been uh, on the ancillary edges of this release that have also gotten my attention. Uh, and so what I thought we would do is maybe talk about a couple of things that the Fedora project is working on and then t- sort of the second half of this would be uh, our take on the release because we've both Wes and I have had a chance to kick the tires and I've had this long-running DigitalOcean Droplet instance – Since either Fedora 24 or 23, Mm -hmm. that I've been upgrading every single release, and I run a couple of Docker containers on here, and I manage it with Cockpit, and it's sort of been my, how long can you run a Fedora server Mm -hmm. and not have it break? And uh, so I completed that upgrade before the show and uh, did my uh, testing on it, so I'll give you my report on that as well. But uh, not to take away attention from the release of Fedora 26, but I always love to do this to you. I noticed something about future releases that really got my attention. And I don't really even know how to put this right. But it, it looks like Rawhide is seeing a shift as of about right now, where essentially it sounds like Rawhide will be more like a rolling release that you intend people to use as a daily driver. I quote directly from the wiki. It will be generally useful to people to use as a daily driver and a development platform, and means we no longer need to go through the process of building, testing, and shipping alpha releases. And the entry on the wiki is No More Alpha uh, for the Fedora project. What's going on here, man?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. I mean, this is part of an overall push we have for more automated testing. This is more validation testing rather than continuous integration testing, which happens kind of more at the developer side. But basically, um, Adam Williamson, who's one of our uh, top QA people, has been working with the um, the SUSE thing, the Open OpenQA uh, tool, uh, to set up a lot of automated tests. So basically, all of the basic tests that we've Previously, always done by hand to make sure the alpha is ready. Those already, those are basically imported as automated tests already. So um, they basically, there's the changes to uh, make those gating and so that um, automatic, you know, uh, rawhide basically happens. Um, something like an alpha happens every night, um, assuming all the tests pass.
0: Hmm. And so, uh, and so essentially, the rawhide system is running through OpenSUSE QA. Uh,
2: yeah, through the OpenQA thing open QA, that um, yeah. OpenSUSE has made. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and so, um, yeah, there's kind of two advantages. The one advantage is that we can get more people using it. Um, I think it, it might be a little bit ambitious to say this is like our rolling release because it's going to be – it's still going to change a lot. Uh-huh. And I think that if you want to use this, you've got to be willing to be like, well, my system broke this afternoon. I wonder what wasn't getting tested that okay. should have been getting tested.
0: <laughs> Very good so, to know. Um, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah uh, so, definitely. Yeah. But you know, if you enjoy that kind of thing, I, I think it will be good. And we do have a you know number of people who are running rawhide al- already um, mm-hmm. as it is right now. Uh, and it generally, you know, yeah, that kind of thing happens. You know, maybe once a season or so. So it's not it's not that bad of a risk. Right. But if we can reduce that, so it's a you know, so um, you can maybe roll back or yeah. have something mm-hmm. a little bit better. Um, so that's one benefit. And the other benefit is basically that you know. Um, Every time we put out a release that is a lot of work and that's one of the reasons distributions like rolling releases because it's like what else could we do if we skipped all that trouble we were doing making releases and just you know did stuff um, so right. removing alphas um, is a way of removing some amount sure. of work and with the automated testing we're feeling pretty confident that we can do that without uh, negative impact on the project
0: right and it would but seem we'll find out. It, it would seem to me that if Rawhide is getting continuously ran through automated QA, that it would probably raise the average quality of it, which would probably make average release quality better.
2: Exactly, exactly. And, yeah, one of the problems we ran into in this last release is that some of the things came down to um, tests that um, hadn't been done for a while and they were just done on, like, the last day before the release. And then we're like, oh, look, virtualization on AMD is broken. So then mm-hmm. we had to trace down that bug like all at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And so if we have, you know, um, automated tests running on those things all the time, we can catch them long before they become a crisis.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess so. Uh, so uh, Hi there. So my uh, little, little playback there, a little echo back, but now it's gone. Uh, my, my, uh, my kind of follow up question to that would be, could you share any of the background on how uh, the Fedora project began working with uh, the OpenQA project from OpenSuse. I'm just curious on like was there like a was it a uh, like at a, an event and you guys shook hands and like hey let me show you what we're doing and then you guys went hmm we could really use that or did I mean, how did that process initiate?
2: Um I have you know I'm not quite sure for this one but a lot of stuff happens at conferences like FOSDEM and things where people get together in the distro dev room and people show off their stuff. Um I think that actually may be the genesis of this particular thing. Um but I'm not quite sure. It might yeah. just be, you know, us looking around. A lot of people in the project like to look and see what cool things other distros are doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's all open source, so we take yeah. advantage
0: of it or we can. Yeah. I think it's actually pretty cool. It shows an open-mindedness.
1: Definitely. I mean, we've and we've talked a lot about OpenQA here on this show, but haven't necessarily seen mm-hmm. the kind of adoption that we thought might make sense. Yeah. So this really bolsters, I think, both projects.
0: So Rawhide is going in an interesting, interesting direction. If things continue, in, is there a trend line here, or is this just sort of the next evolution and what's going to stay here for a bit? And the question, really what I'm asking is, are we trending towards a Fedora rolling, or is this not really likely the end goal of what Rawhide's to become?
2: Yeah, so I think I said this on here before. I've got strong opinions about rolling releases, and that is um, there's there's sort of two people that rolling releases benefit, and one is enthusiast people who want the latest of everything and just um, don't mind waking up to a surprise, and now all of the buttons on my screen have moved around, and, hey, it's innovation. Um, that's one demographic, and that's probably a lot of your listeners, right? And, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I can I can also um, sympathize with that to some degree. It can be kind of fun. I'm getting some new stuff for its own sake. Um, and, um, the other one is basically, um, the distro themselves. It's just because it's a lot less work. But from a user point of view, I think having um, real releases is actually a lot better because, um, in any distribution there's just a whole bunch of change and you can mm. test to make sure that things aren't you know awful and don't crash mm-hmm. but you can't test for that thing right. um, easily for like you know the ui changed in this or right. you know now that program's gone yeah. and so you with a rolling release yeah you
0: need, yeah, something, you need something, to something to
2: target right and with a rolling release you get that basically whenever the upst- the distro developers put it in there and then you get it or else and if you decide to not, you then don't get security updates because that's you know the idea basically you, you take it or you don't,
0: yeah makes um, sense.
2: so uh, I think releases are better because it lets you have a window when you can decide, okay, you know this Thursday I'm going to maybe have to relearn how my menus work because mm-hmm. I'm going to the new version, mm-hmm. but so um, I think there's always a bunch of pain. As change happens, you know, change is pain. That's one of those life truth things. Um, and I think our model of releases helps, um, helps users manage that. So I think we probably always want to keep that to some degree.
0: Makes sense. So let me ask you about another forward-looking thing that I saw during this release. And I don't know if I'm saying the name right because I've never heard anybody say it out loud before. Fedora twenty six Boltron server or yeah. Bolt on
2: Voltron. It's like Voltron bolted together. Right? <laughs> I don't know. I was it's kind something. of what I was. I was there, thinking there's, that there's nerd joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so this is actually um, very related to that because um, the basic problem people have in in an operating system and a distribution overall is you know stuff moving too fast or too slow, and the rolling release basically says everything's going to move fast um, and a LTS says everything's going to move slow and generally nobody's happy with either one of those things mm-hmm. you want something else. So this basically lets us separate the hardware enablement and the operating system from your applications and have different streams where those things can actually move at different speeds. So you could say, um, have basically like a you know, a ruby version that you keep at the same version even as you upgrade the base underneath it and that kind of thing
0: how is that accomplished is
2: that? Uh, there's a crazy thing called module build service you basically um, define a module which is a collection of packages and uh, and then say okay build this against this build root and then that's get that's built against um, one Basically every new base operating system's out. We're making this stuff up right now, so um, check out Boltron and see a little bit how it's going to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. But um, if it's successful, it's going to be a kind of a big shift in how we how we make the distribution. But right now, we're kind of focused on I'm making this package for Fedora 26. This package for Fedora 25. In the future. Um, if this works out, you'll focus on I'm making say you know the latest stream of this package or the stable stream of this package or you know the version one stream and the version two stream and then you build that stream across all of the underlying base OSs that we produce.
0: This sounds like a feature that must have come from application developer feedback or enterprise customers somewhere i mean can do you what what's the background there
2: yeah well honestly it's something i've been thinking about i've been working on Linux distributions for like I don't know um seventeen years now, so it's kind of been the, the thing i've been uh, hearing from users all the time like this is the pro the pain I have, so we wanted to try and address that pain. so this is one stab at doing that basically.
0: Hmm it's it's it really got my attention yeah, it sounds neat. like a really cool idea and yeah. it's a uh, it there is a there's been a background debate recently about new distributions that are coming up by hardware manufacturers both Tuxedo and System 76 and one of the arguments that both of them has put forward is the LTS is too slow for us and we have customers that have problems and the solution to these problems is to replace maybe it's uh, Nginx or it's, it's PHP or it's, it's the SQL server or it's even you know the DHCP client on that server to fix this problem. And we end up like getting in this weird position of trying to decide if we package that up ourselves and slip it in as a PPA or how to evenly manage this. And it just it gets to a point where it's, well, screw it. Let's just ship our own OS where we can manage the package releases ourselves. And this could sort of solve that problem.
2: Yeah, that's exactly the idea. And the problem with the screw it, we're going to do it ourselves approach is that now you've created something that's yet another thing that fits only one use case, right? And then some of your customers are going to have a different use case, and they're out of luck.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So my, my kind of last question is just really self-serving, but uh, we're uh, we're sort of at, a, at, a, at an interesting point here in the studio about what we're considering using for our production distro. And Fedora is on my mind. To be honest with you, my only question is: is uh, um, like what would be the right spin for somebody who wants an extremely or spin or whatever the whatever their terminology is for somebody who wants essentially a bulletproof workstation that's Fedora based though. See, when I think of Fedora, I think of a great workstation, except for uh, it's not you know these are five six year systems that I'd like to have running. Uh, but CentOS moves too slow for me. Uh, what is the solution in the in the Fedora world for this problem?
2: Well, so our our main solution is that we've tried to work on making upgrades less painful for you, so that uh, yeah, we don't have a five six year solution, but. Basically, they put a lot of engineering into making sure that um, every upgrade goes smoothly and so that, you know, you go from one release to the next and um, your pain is minimized in doing that. Uh, this is, again, like I often get the, you should make a rolling release or an LTS. And since those things are opposite ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. when I dig into it, I often hear, well, I don't want to do that upgrade. It's yep. so painful. Mm-hmm. So we've worked on making the upgrades less painful. So. Yeah, like upgrades to Fedora 25, 26, both on all of my systems have been like half hour affairs. I started it, went got some coffee, came back, and, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah. there we go. And I think especially for the for a workstation, as GNOME has kind of settled down with GNOME three into a nice, you know, comfortable environment, they've got a lot of the rough edges uh, from the initial release sort of polished. Um, and you basically, it's kind of increasing polish instead of uh, disruptive change every release. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, back in the first you know, couple of GNOME three releases, um, not only was GNOME three itself, kind of shocking. Um, every point release was also a oh my goodness, this is everything's new again.
0: Yeah, um, and or that's there was really kind of GDK breakage. You know, there right? Right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I I I feel like that's a really solid answer for the server. Uh, you know, I'll just cover really really briefly uh, to to just cover it. Uh, um, my my Fedora twenty 26- six server right now uh, running on uh, DigitalOcean is, uh, yes, I think it's either from Fedora 23 or Fedora 24, and it's it's uh, it's a Fedora server install that I then installed, uh, co- or Cockpit was installed, and I installed several droplets, one of them a NextCloud instance, uh, one of them uh, a Plex server mm-hmm. and an MB instance. So nice. I have both those running different containers, and I've been chugging along with the upgrade releases on day one of Fedora releases, which... You know, I'm gonna say That's is kind
1: of unheard of for you.
0: Well, the. I mean, you you know, if you're not in a rush, don't don't go ahead, give it a couple of days, right, let it sit. Sure. You know, but I nope, because I, I wanted you know, I've been wanting Gotta to talk it. about it. And um, sure enough, if not a single thing's broken yet, the thing is still running uh, today. I mean, there's nothing really to report. Uh, the The upgrade went uh, totally smooth. Uh, it uh, it's actually the process is uh, it's actually pretty pretty good. And uh, Matt, are you the one that writes up the uh, the upgrade posts every every release? Because these, these are always easy to find, easy to find and, and straightforward. Um,
2: straightforward. No, uh, I think Justin Flory wrote those. So um, they're very nice. Oh yeah,
0: Justin. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, and it's it's just a simple process. It goes through. It's really easy to do it through the GUI. But of course, I'm doing it on a server, so I always use. The different DNF commands, and I'm I'm always pleasantly surprised at how clear DNF is and how safe it is. It does all the downloads, it does all the checks. Then you tell it to do a DNF system uh, dash upgrade reboot. It reboots into the kernel of the current or of the you know the release you're upgrading from. Installs all the packages, verifies everything, does another reboot now into the new kernel, and you're done. Bob's your uncle. Everything's your your cockpits running again. Your containers are back up and running. Uh, it was,
1: I, that's the one thing that really stood out to me. It's like it, with with that DNF in general, it seems like it's very it's been thought out. It's well founded. I can trust it a little bit more than maybe some of the competing package managers. Yeah,
0: so I, it's funny. It you know people don't I don't think can, you know normally think of maybe Fedora on their VPS, but I'll tell you it's been working solid for me. But I don't know if that's going to hold true, Matt. If you're somebody who has maybe RPM Fusion set up, or you have uh, I don't know something outside the Fedora repos, or maybe you have the NVIDIA graphics driver, isn't it then not exactly as smooth?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's always hard because we're dependent on other people for those kind of things. And, you know, some of those third-party repos package things that um, we can't even talk about. So that makes the situation <laughs> oh, difficult.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, that, so can, that can definitely be a problem. I know that some of them had problems in the past that they're um, doing better with. Um, we're also, the Workstation team is working on building some relationships with um uh, with NVIDIA and with some of the, the third-party repo providers uh, where we can't uh, point to, um, you know, for legal reasons, basically to a third-party repository that has arbitrary things, but we might build a point to a repository that has, you know, just a specific thing that we know is okay for us to point to, um, something that we wouldn't include in Fedora um, for, you know, uh, it's not free software. We're never going to include not free software in Fedora directly, but we know people need to make their hardware work, so uh, mm, we would like to make it easy easy to enable those kind of things uh, or something that whatever other reason um, isn't packaged in Fedora, but we want to make it available to people.
0: You know, so uh, there was a post recently about some future projects that Fedora is working. In fact, even in the release notes or the release post on Fedora magazine for 26, there's sort of an inference in there about some things that are coming down the pipe wire, if you will, the pipe Wire. Uh, yeah. Can we? Uh, if you have just a minute, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute. I'm gonna mention our first sponsor, and then that'll be pretty much my last question for you for the day. And then we'll let you get out of here. Uh, everybody, head over to linux.ting.com. support the show, and get a great deal on mobile the way it should work. They'll give you a twenty five dollars service credit if you bring a device, and they have CDMA and GSM networks, so the compatibility factor is high. Check their BYOD page. Or if you need a new one, they'll give you $25 off the device. I mention this because it's really a smarter way to do mobile. It's so simple. It's how things would go if the wireless industry had to reboot today and be competitive. It's $6 for a line. You choose whether you want CDMA or GSM. Which is super nice. You can bring an unlocked device or buy one directly from them, and then you just pay for what you use. And with that, you get every feature you would expect. I mean, really great stuff, including hotspot and tethering. Ting doesn't have any agendas like for you to be uh, only using streaming at certain times of day when you use these certain providers, or else they're going to re none of that. No encoding garbage. Uh, in fact, they're a pretty big supporter of net neutrality. They have no contracts, no determination fees, nationwide coverage. You just pay for what you use with a great dashboard. And they just recently posted a video uh, about uh, Ting's privacy policy, which, uh, you know, I think is actually worth uh, playing. Just I'll just play a brief moment of it here on the show because it might be something you're wondering if you're going to become a Ting customer. It's kind of a legit question.
1: Does Ting sell personal information?
3: Ting does not sell personal information. Ting, uh, t- Ting's parent company, 2Cow's has long been committed to protecting consumer privacy. Uh, We do not aggregate information. We do not sell it. uh, And in fact, we actively advocate for consumer privacy protections at the legislative and regulatory levels.
0: Can your uh, wireless carrier say that? I I don't know about that. Linux.ting.com. A big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linux.ting.com. So I think uh, Matt might have a roast in the oven and have to run soon. So I just really kind of my, my sort of my last question to you is uh, can we talk a little bit about the stuff in the incubator like Pipewire? That has got my interest peaked, and I've seen a lot of people in our audience that are excited about Pipewire. These are like some crazy projects that are coming from you guys.
2: Yeah. So, right, Pipewire is something from the desktop team um, and can people. people. Um, I'm not actually sure. Of all the details of that, um, you might want to get Kristen Schaller I on do, here sometime. Yeah. He, he yeah. wrote that blog post. I can I can talk to him for you guys and get him. That would to be talk awesome. I would really. Things. I would
0: love to. Um,
2: I'm sure he. I'm sure he would. I, I won't completely speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he'd love to do it as well. So I'll, I'll talk to him. Cool. Um, yeah, um, I, I my. Thoughts are a lot more on how we put together the distro and, you know, what we're what we're doing to make it rather than what's going into it. His I have, thoughts are a lot more on what's going into it.
0: Here's my meta question about it, though. Uh, um, why Fedora? I mean, like, there's so many things to be working on. Why are why? Why are some of these things incubated in Fedora first? I I guess I don't I don't I mean, I understand that everybody wants to make the experience better, but uh there's some mountains that some distributions don't ever seem to want to take on. And then Fedora comes along and just sort of nonchalantly says, yeah, well, we're going uh, to replace the entire audio-video pipeline on Linux, or we're going to rework the way network management is handled, or, hey, you know what would be great is if we had this uh, unified init system across all distributions. Like, there's this crazy, like, nobody-can-do-that kind of projects that get started over in your camp. And I don't—what I, is it? I mean, what, what is it? Why? Yeah.
2: Uh, it's it's foundational to what Fedora is. It's basically, it's um, one of our, you know, Fedora, um, we have these Fedora foundations, which are like the project values. So um, features is one of those things where we try and get all these things that are going to be the next generation of the operating system and get the new version of the software there. And we want to experiment with it first. So that's part of what we're here for. Um, so. Uh, it makes it a natural place for people who are interested in that kind of thing. So it, um, then it's sort of self fulfilling because it attracts people who want to do those kind of things. And hmm. um, also, you know, we've got a slant towards saying yes, we're going to do that. Um.
0: <laughs> Why the hell not? Uh, all right. Well, you know, Matt, is there anything else you want to add uh, to the to all this uh, before we uh, wrap it up with you?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think this has been great. I'm glad your upgrade went well. I was a little bit prepared for, and then everything horribly no, no. exploded. <laughs> but no, uh, in fact, I've heard just a lot of good things today. Um, so that's yeah, uh, it's yeah. been a very successful, nice release day with very few fires. I mean, it so, seems like uh, a
0: release that's just got a lot of improvements and a lot of refinements. It's not anything that's dramatic, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I do have to say that the um, the wallpaper is like the most beautiful Fedora wallpaper oh, yeah. I've ever seen, yeah. and I um, I'm lobbying to keep it for a couple releases. It's So yeah. nice. So it, it, it's surprising
0: it's too, surprising like the, like, to like how well, how well it, looks, it looks. Like when you bring up like a, the applications menu, when you log, I I logged into the Plasma desktop. And it had that background on there, and just the colors matched the menu bar menu so bars well. It, oh. yeah.
2: and also um, the the shape there of um, the tree line is actually based on the waveform of somebody saying Fedora, so it's oh, also wow. super super geeky. Jeez, uh, that's you, know what's, awesome. I you know what? You Have to endorse.
0: I'm really, I really appreciate you saying that because the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, that's a wave. Oh no, those are trees. <laughs> So that's awesome. I've seen a few waveforms in my day,
2: (laughs) and it was a nice example of collaborative design too, where the design group, which is you know a bunch of community people from all over the world, kind of started with this idea of a waveform and then iterated on it until we came out with this. So I really love it.
0: That is great. Yeah. So if you guys want to see that, either install Fedora or you can go check out uh, the Fedora magazine post where Matt went through uh, the new release. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Looks like a great release, and uh, hope to hear hear from you soon.
2: Yeah. Thanks again. I'll be love to talk to you again later, and I will talk to Christian. See if I can get him on your show. for That it. would be
0: awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank love you. to chat with him. Bye. Have a good one. Right, cool. Yep. Bye. So I had a chance to also, like I was saying, kick the tires on the Plasma Edition, which is the first time I've ever hey, done, done that. Yeah. I've always always gone gnome. I uh, always have because you know it's just such an obvious solid gnome. Uh, so I've just just got started, but I, you know, out of the box, it does look really. It looks really nice. It's definitely. Uh, it's a. It's got me thinking about some of the woes we've had here in the studio. And right now I have been leaning uh, Ubuntu LTS with maybe like a um, OBS PPA or something like mm. that. But now I'm just kind of wondering if I installed an OBS rig uh, or Fedora 26 rig and try to put OBS on it. What there would just, that look like? Yeah. I don't know i think it's wor- it might be worth trying because well, with
1: it- all this stuff like you've been playing a lot with docker and we covered some of the stuff about running even x apps in system d containers mm-hmm. like it seems like there's a lot of maybe the application relative unavailability of fedora that we sometimes talk about maybe that's less of a thing in this modern linux well, and world
0: speaking of that minimac you were saying that it's actually much better as far as like the community goes with keeping up with fedora releases now
1: yeah it is definitely. For example OBS Studio is available now on Fedora 26 yeah. on release day. <laughs> nice. the third third party repositories are are really available most of them most of them. And it's always I always surprise. You see Chris you're talking about a Fedora 26 server with Docker and everything and I'm running that on a Chromebook with two uh, gigs of RAM and hmm. I have OBS Studio running here with my webcam and everything. I'm really surprised. <laughs> awesome. That's a really good distribution. Really cool. Wow. Really cool. Wow. I'm I'm about I'm thinking about quitting another distribution that shall not be named.
0: Oh yeah. Hmm. It does seem to be it, it's I mean it's always nice to look. I mean I'm gonna be honest. I've always been a bit of a hopper. I stayed on Arch for quite a while, but my hopper tendencies have been coming back recently. If I'm if I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, You know, Mr. Wes, uh, did you get a chance to try, before we go on, I didn't want to say anything else, but before we go on, are you running it right there? Oh, yeah. And you're running the GNOME
1: version? I am.
0: I would be, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts, because I have not tried the GNOME one.
1: You know, it's actually pretty slick. I, I hate the default theme a lot less than I normally do. Like, honestly, I just installed it. I've done no customization. It's pretty usable. I could use this for a while. Eventually, I would probably want, you know, ArcDark or whatever, installed a few little tweaks here and there, dash to dock, whatever, all the normal things, but... Right here, it's pretty nice. And I was very impressed with, like, they have a nice little welcome screen, kind of gets things set up. The GNOME GNOME software's improved a lot over the the years, so, like, that's almost, that's, like, a decent experience. And I've almost always had some kind of problem with Anaconda. It's always been my least favorite of the common installers. This time, uh, for okay, first time it crashed on me, and I had to I just rebooted it and, and did it again. But that time it worked perfectly. I have kind of a weird partitioning scheme because there's already a couple OSs on here, and in the past that's really caused problems. This time, nope, easy, easy. Yeah, easy. yeah, and that's
0: the new Matt. Are you, are you still by the mic uh, by chance? Because that, that's one thing we didn't mention is there's a new partitioner in Anaconda if you do the custom partitioning setup.
2: I am still here, yeah.
0: Is, do you, is, there, is there anything more to add to that? So what is it? Like it's got oh, a new name, or I can't remember. Y- yeah,
2: it's called Blivit GUI, which is, I don't know, another, some sort of in-joke of some sort. I actually um, would, would like it to be uh, something a little more um, polished in the UI, but um, we'll, we'll get to that eventually. Uh, the basic thing is... Um, When um, there's a big Anaconda rewrite, like in Fedora, I don't know, 17 or 18 or something like that, and um, it was based on a lot of user studies on how people install systems, and the idea basically is, instead of telling it, um, I've got this disk and this disk, and I want to make a partition on it and the logical volume, and then this and this and this, and building it up, you would say, I've got these disks, I would like redundancy, I would like a journaling file system, give it to me, and then it would... Um, determine your configuration from that, so it's kind of a top-down thing, mm-hmm. um, and I I think that's good, especially for people who you know for whom when I say partitions and logical volumes, they kind of get a panic <laughs> right. look. Um, it, it's really great for that, uh, but. A lot of people uh, have special cases that didn't feel that covered or, you know, they definitely want to have, you know, partition, you know, the first partition be home because that's important to them or they are just more comfortable doing the buildup kind of thing. And so those people have for a long time felt like the you know, installer, Fedora installer, doesn't suit their needs. So this basically adds a third option that's um, kind of a true you know, partition manager thing that can do a lot of very sophisticated things um, for a build up from the bottom uh, environment. On the other hand, uh, you can, and I did several times in testing, make systems that will not boot that way. So it really is for if you know what you're doing, um, this lets you do it. Uh,
1: yeah, I did play around with a little bit. That definitely echoes. It seems you know, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of hand holding, um, but it is a lot more reminiscent of what you get in a lot of other installers, or even just hmm. something like you know, GNOME discs or G. And if you're going
0: off in that neck of the woods, you probably that's probably yeah, the it's, two like a, you want. it's like
1: a power user escape hatch, which I think is actually pretty nice. I didn't use it ultimately <laughs> to install my system. I went back to the standard custom uh, solution, but it really, I think, I really as it did. evolves, I'll be happy to happy to use it.
2: Yeah, and one of the UI problems we have a lot with that is um, our installer people discovered that if you have an advanced option, people will always pick it, even if it's going to make their life <laughs> right. miserable. So um, we wanted you know, uh, to try and figure out how, how to how to phrase it properly to get people steered um, not to choose it if they didn't know what it was. So uh, possibly leaving it named Blivit GUI is the right thing for that for now, but right. we'll what figure is that this? out. <laughs>
0: Hmm. I, I. I. It's a pretty. Like I said, it's a nice, solid release with tons of new stuff from Upstream. Because I mean, just bringing in that new GNOME release, and then, and now also the new Plasma release, and then Anaconda gets some nice improvements. It's. it's check. It's worth checking out for Fedora 26. And uh, if you're crazy like me, it's also very deployable on your DigitalOcean droplet. What? If you go to DigitalOcean right now, create an account and use our promo code DO Unplugged. Apply that to your account and you'll get a ten dollar credit. Now. At the moment, it's Fedora 25 is what's deployable on DigitalOcean. Right. However, I just did it a little bit during the show. I spun up a, a 25 instance and I upgraded it to Fedora 26. Just clean install. Worked flawlessly. So if you want to run that you can, you can also do that too. It's all – I'll link uh, to – in the show notes, I have a link to how to upgrade from Fedora 25 to Fedora 26. I've been – I have a droplet now on this, on DigitalOcean. It's four years old. Wow. I did not realize I've been using DigitalOcean that long. Four years, it's an Archbox. It's an art. Zone. Good work. You, you've
1: been doing your updates. <laughs> I, I, I've been keeping on. I've been
0: keeping on, uh, and uh, and I and I've now also have been running a, a Fedora droplet for ages, and then I've got a bunch of Ubuntu droplets, and it's you know they've also they offer free BSD and a bunch of other distributions. It's a really easy way to spin up infrastructure on demand, whether you want something personally for yourself or hosting for your business. Everything's SSDs from the low priced rigs all the way up to the high priced rigs. They have stuff with like you know, 512 megs of RAM for a nice slim system with things up to like over 200 gigs of RAM, tons of CPU cords, terabytes and terabytes of transfer. You can have team accounts, highly available block storage. They're beta testing object storage right now. They have loads of pre-built open source apps that you can just one-click deploy, and they're not like magic script setups. It's legitimate. Like if, if an expert system administrator built a system to host NextCloud, that's how it looks. And, and, and like uh, one of my favorite ones to do is it's just a quick test. I can deploy a base LTS system with Docker on it, try something, and then destroy it and spend like three cents. It's, it's amazing, so great. Digitalocean.com. Use the promo code DO Unplugged. And yes, yes, you can run, you can run Fedora there. As a matter of fact, <laughs> you crazy cats, just like I have been. And you know what I do is I set up, I set up Fedora on there, and then I just manage my Fedora box through Cockpit all the time. It's a super solid amazing. way. Yeah, it's a super solid way to to keep a Fedora system running. And then in Cockpit, there is a really simple straightforward system to search for new Docker images, click on them, pull them down, and then when the first time you set them up, you can set up all of the port forty and you can set up paths and it's there's a UI to just set all of that stuff and you hit save and boom, everything just
1: works. Yeah, That seems perfect for the casual casual admin. You're not doing it every day, but you know the concepts, maybe you forgot that command line switch, Cockpit makes it just right there.
0: It's nice. It's really nice. Um, and the other thing that's really cool about it is uh, we've covered the security architecture of it a couple of weeks ago, if you recall, and it's really soundly built, too. So I actually feel pretty safe running it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty solid innovation. You know, let's this is sort of tangentially related to uh, Fedora um, because they've been shipping Wayland by default now since the last release and it looks like, uh, according to Will Cook, who's the head of the desktop team over at Canonical, that they're considering backing off of their decision to ship wayland in ubuntu 17.10 which could then ultimately impact the lts in 2018 now uh i i think this announcement has been it's not really an announcement it's a, it's a discussion at this point right. so keep that in yeah. mind this is not like this is being like announced officially this is them discussing their gut feelings about maybe Wayland not being ready yet. And I think that's actually the fascinating thing about it is that is a conversation to be had. Um, is it st- stable enough? They said they've taken some input from their users that have been in testing and seen stability issues with both Wayland and ex-Wayland. Um, my gut feeling, Will Cook said, is that Wayland isn't ready yet. It's That's that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing because, you know, you want to, you want to skate obviously, to where the puck is going. And you want to get this thing tested in the 1710 release before 1804 hits. And you've got, obviously, the Fedora distribution has mm-hmm. been shipping it for a while. But, you know, they had some legitimate use case problems that they've had people writing in to them or uh, in their testing that have come up. So
1: it's... I, mean, I don't know. The flip side of that, right, is that we need this kind of... Like, we want we want Wayland to be really good. We want it to be rock solid for the future. We need these kinds of, you know, like, sometimes it takes another... You know, big distribution being like, okay, can we really use this? What would that look like to mm-hmm. make sure that we do iron out all those bugs and make it stable? Because we don't want another thing where, like, pull the pulse audio rollout or whatever, where now no one trusts Wayland. It's not going to get good rep. Maybe less developers want to work on it.
0: Well, it's just the, it's the hard truth of default rule supreme. So you could even include Wayland as a, as an, as a session option, you know, gnome parentheses Wayland. Mm-hmm. And then you could have gnome x11 as the default. But you're just going to have a a dramatic volume difference between the amount of users testing it and submitting bug reports. If you do that, it's Mm -hmm. just going to it's going to be a a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the Ubuntu user base would use that.
1: Pretty much, people who probably could would might install it anyway.
0: I mean, I, I can tell you, all of my Arch systems right now that are running in this studio all have an option to log into GNOME on Wayland, and I never do it. I've had problems. I especially yeah. I've had problems with chrome and I just I just don't I just I'm waiting it out. Mm-hmm. Um I just but at some point you're right, you gotta you gotta rip the band-aid off. And Wayland is 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 really at this point becoming a joke if we can't get this thing out the door. It's been years in development. Now I, I guess, you know. If you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I think X has been around since Reagan was president. So (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but it feels like it probably is true, actually. just have long timelines. So I guess if you consider in the grand scheme of things, Wayland is still just a young pup. And uh, I I guess maybe this is just a long haul, but um, this stuff isn't easy. And uh, it sounds like the Ubuntu devs are just uncertain about which way to go. So we'll just have to stay tuned. I'm going to keep watching it. Um, there's also there's a little follow-up news to something we covered before, GR Security. Remember when we mentioned GR Security was sort of branching off and doing their own thing and closing up their uh, their patch set against the Linux kernel, which promises to make the Linux kernel super secure? And now they're releasing it in this stable patch access agreement license that says that you can take this GPL code, but you're not allowed to share it, and if you do, we're going to revoke your access and they kind of have people uh really sort of uh, by the elbow here because these are uh, oftentimes business customers that have systems out on the web. that are doing e-commerce that are being audited. And this is how they say they're secure is because they have this, you know, oh, yeah, we have hardened Linux. We've hardened mm-hmm. our Linux with GR security. We've hardened it. It's used it. a
1: lot by like uh, multi-tenant hosts or people running yes. like OpenVZ containers or other things like that.
0: And so they, the, what are they going to do? You know, they've been using this thing for years. And then one day these guys decide to go, uh, ah, no, we're going commercial product and uh, you've got to pay. Huh? What's that? No, you pay. You pay. You can take it, and you can use that GPL software, but you've got to pay, and you can't do anything with it. If you distribute that, if you make modifications to it, and you share that GPL code with anybody, we're going to come after you. Uh, That's kind of crazy. And uh, it got a few people's attention. It got our attention a few weeks ago. We talked about it here on the show. And uh, Linus, uh, about a week ago, uh, really ripped him a new one, saying that their code quality was just garbage not really even concerning, not even really mentioning the license issues, but just saying that, you know, they're a bunch of basically dweebs is what he said. I mean, he said it in harsher terms. Um, Well, there is a gentleman, Bruce Perns, who is an advisor to lawyers. So wrap your head around that for a second. (laughs) And what does he advise those lawyers about? GPL compliance. You see where we're going here. Now that uh, GR Security has taken their patch set that they claim makes Linux better, and they've wrapped it behind the stable patch access agreement, customers are warned that if they redistribute any of these, any of this GPL code, gonna, there's going to be a penalty. Well, here's the problem. You can't deny this one fact. GR security is a patch for the Linux kernel. It's inseparable from Linux. It, GR security does not work without Linux. So this would fail a fair use test. Because it's strongly derivative nature of the kernel, it must be under GPL version 2 license or a license compatible with GPL and with terms no more restrictive than the GPL. And there is a pretty clear clause of the GPL. It's GPL Section 6, which specifically prohibits any additions of terms as well. So they're also violating it by wrapping in these additional terms. They really got themselves in a pickle here, and I think these guys are ripe for the picking. I mean, I think this is going to be one juicy, juicy pickle that somebody's going to come along and decide to take a bite out of. Nobody has yet. There's no there's no lawsuits yet. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be some pretty solid GPL violation issues here. And then this Bruce guy here at the bottom of his post is like, by the way, if you want to consult with me and see these guys, (laughs) is essentially what he says. He doesn't say it like that. Uh, Give me a call skis and we'll work something out
1: here. So it's
0: open hunting season for GRC. You got Linus coming after him. You got obvious GPL compliance questions.
1: Well there's and there's a lot, you know, there's been a lot of um let's say, drama back and forth between the projects. I mean, for a long time, but even more recently, with they they had some threats of lawsuits against people like Keys Cook and the Linux Self-Protection Project for using their work without yep. proper attribution. And it's just this whole culture of, like, they've certainly had some innovations. They've done a lot of good research, but it's been a long history of not using the kernel standard, not making patches that have any hope of doing it. And they just, you know, there's a very, almost in a similar style to OpenBSD. It's a security-first but of course, Linus is never going to ship a broken kernel no, no. when it's even if it is. Well, more secure. stop right
0: there. I mean, like what a what, that is a huge red flag. Is uh, if GR security is based intrinsically on upstream, and they have a hostile relationship up with upstream. Well, that, tough, that doesn't that lead thing. to a good product. Yeah. You know, like, that's not how you set up a winner. Uh, so it's this is a difficult situation uh, for them, for sure. And uh, I don't know if it really has direct impact on us, unless any of you out there are working in businesses that use this. But it's sort of a fascinating one to sit back from the rafters and watch a bit. Mm-hmm. You know we have a uh, little uh, little NF table stuff to get to, but I also have uh, a couple of uh, cool apps that I've been itching to talk about. I Wonder, let's do this. Uh, let's talk about this. Uh, just this quick little open source app that we found this week because this is just a real quickie. Uh, it's called iWant, and it's a decentralized peer-to-peer file-sharing command line application. And uh, this came across both Wes's radar and mine. And it's just a, it's a CLI tool for searching and downloading files on your LAN network without any central server, which I think that's kind of cool. It, it includes easy discovery of files, so it's sort of like a search-type syntax. You can download it from multiple, multiple machines on your network. This, this could be handy for us because we have large media files that we're distributing. You can do entire directory downloads. And obviously, as you would hope, it does support uh, resumption of uh, file transfers. Um, it is it is very careful about getting consistent data. Uh, any changes made to files inside a shared folder are instantly reflected on the network. It works on Linux. It works on Windows, and it works on the Mac, although I think this guy even admits like, ah, mm, Mac yeah. version, meh. I wouldn't use it to quite yet. Uh, and if you uh, if you uh, if you want to give it a go, just pip install I want. It might also be in the AUR. And I think it's kind of, it sounds like a really cool way to just toss files around your network. One of the questions that consistently has come in over the years is, what's the best way to share files that's not Samba? Um, And a lot of times what our answer is, well, if you have have one machine that's always on, you could consider setting up some NFS mounts. But a lot of times what we tell people is just use uh, SCP. Just, you know, toss it around on your network using SSH. Kind of... Not super intuitive for people that are coming from different disk, uh, different uh, operating systems. Yep. And uh, if you don't
1: have keys set up, there's maybe a lot of passwords and yeah, things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or if you have different passwords on different right. machines. Yeah. Exactly. So this could be a nice way if you have if you have a nice safe trusted LAN like here at the network here at the JB Studios. You know we have we have like large files that we want to toss around between our mm-hmm. machines, and uh, sometimes just being lazy, we'll just throw it on Dropbox.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And it's
0: like. Why go all the way up to the cloud, sync it to all my machines, bring it all the way down? Why not just toss that one gig file directly to somebody's machine using something like I want and uh, i've I've played around before with graphical ones, and I think command line's the way to go,
1: yeah, especially if you're listening to this show.
0: what you do say, you do say you know uh, I won't be here, I won't be here
1: next week, are you? How do you feel about that? Are you are you good? Are you okay? Are you gonna be good? Well, I mean, I'll miss you, yeah. but yeah, I, I think you're gonna have a great time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I am heading you're off. You're gonna to... come back refreshed,
0: ready to podcast. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, I'm going to Montana. I would like to have seen Montana. Uh, and it's gonna be hot. It's gonna oh. be. It's gonna be really hot. So hopefully, like, when we get there, it's going to be like 100 degrees. There's some
1: sweaty vlogs coming up.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The cameras maybe will have to go away if I'm that sweaty. But, yeah, I'm going to be there with Noah. He's going to be doing Ask Noah Live from there. Is
1: that right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't think. That rascal. No, I think, but I think we have a very special guest. Somebody from one of our other shows will be joining us. Uh, we'll be joining Wes. We'll be joining, yes, that's we'll be joining right. Wes because I won't. I won't be here, but, uh, you guys, I think we'll have a great show. So if you out there in the audience, uh, want to help the boys out while I'm gone, head over to jblive.tv next Tuesday and join the mumble room. You can get in the uh, IRC there and just do bang mumble or you know, exclamation mark and get the server information. And then, uh, you, uh, you can hang out with Wes and a special guest next week. It'll be a lot of fun. So there's a particularly cool little bit of, uh, benchmarking and engineering work that was done. Um, and, uh, Kind of nice, kind of a nice like bit of research that I would have loved to have done if had I had the time. Because I've always wondered, like, what is the difference between NF tables and IP tables, and how is this new world, and it does it like scale if you want to set up, say, maybe a Linux firewall, and uh, does it uh, is it too much overhead if you just want to have it on your workstation? Like these are all questions I've sort of pondered, but never really sat down to iron out. And so this next piece was a really solid bit of uh, research and write-up, but I want to mention Linux Academy briefly because I think this is a great opportunity when you get into this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. If anything we're talking about goes over your head, consider going over to Linux Academy. Or if you just want to just step your skill level up a bit, stay competitive, maybe get a new job or just look good in a review, Linux Academy. Start by going to linuxacademy.com unplug. Sign up for a free seven-day trial of the Linux Academy platform. It's a place to learn everything about Linux. They have self-paced, in-depth video courses, hands-on labs that give you real experience with this stuff. And I think probably one of my favorite features that really makes Linux Academy stand out. And this is really possible because they're really all in on Linux. It's not just something they do. It's not just something they cover along with the Cisco stuff and the Microsoft stuff. This is what they do. Everything from the nitty-itty-bitties all the way up to like the big stuff like OpenStack and AWS and Azure. They have the entire Linux pipeline. And that's why they can offer instructor mentoring, full-time human instructors who know this material top to bottom because this is what they focus on. That's a huge differentiator for Linux Academy. they have, sim- they have these uh, these uh, virtual servers that they spin up simultaneously with your courseware, which is a really cool thing because you're going along. It's like, okay, now SSH into this and try this out. Boom. My mind was blown the first right? time I did that because it's like – I, I can sit there with the with the material on my screen, and then in my favorite console, I'm SSH'd in just like it would be any other system I'm
1: working on. It's just a brilliant way to learn. It's especially great for things like AWS, where you're like, how much is this going to cost me? I don't really understand. I'm yeah. just trying to learn. You don't even let have them, to worry about let it. Let them take care of it.
0: Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. send it for a free seven-day trial at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So this is Benchmarking NF Tables over at the developers.redhat.com blog, and it was posted by Phil. (laughs) Uh, It was a little bit ago, but it was something that kind of, I think, came across Wes's radar, and he passed it on to me, and I was pretty fascinated by it. and For starters, it's just interesting to see how he decided to... Do this. He wanted to figure out how different firewall setups affected performance. And so uh, he messed around with a, a simple test framework, which he could feed a bunch of different setup snippets and then cycle through them. And then he could test scalability with these snippets by adding like a, a number in a scale ranger from zero to a hundred. and then the test script would go off and it would run each possible value to that scale. And then each value equals a multiple of five benchmarks, and those are then performed, repeated nine more times, and the results are all plotted out with nice, beautiful graphs, and end up in this post. And what we get here is some rather interesting revelations, including the fact that it seems to be that there is a bit of a performance difference that is fairly noticeable between IP tables and NF tables um, on, on really small setups. Like, you know, 20 or fewer rules mm-hmm. or or even like 100 or fewer rules, uh, IP tables may actually be more performant than NF tables. But IP tables, there, it, it, if I read this correctly, there is – and same to a degree with NF tables, but I'll talk about that more in a second. With IP tables, there is some suffering of performance as the number of rules increases. Not too surprising. Uh, so, the overhead introduced with adding rules becomes less and less significant the more rules there are with nF nF tables because nF tables handles this in a little bit different way it It sort of does some of the logic ahead of time and it eats that cost initially and then that cost is essentially spent that money that that mm-hmm. time is spent and then it is able to scale up more rules much much faster in performance than IP tables, which has to go through the chain and consider every single rule every time uh, and so it 's interesting because at the smaller scale, that might actually be advantageous with IP tables, depending on your setup. But if you consider NF tables is still early days and they're still working on it, right. that seems like a performance gap they're going to probably close as well.
1: Right. Really been focused on functionality, not not optimization yet.
0: What was, what was your take from some of this stuff? Did you, was there anything that uh, jumped out at you as sort of an interesting result? It's just so many tests between these systems. That, There's uh, a
1: lot to dig into this one. Um, for me, I think that one of the, the bigger things is like, yes, there's still some, you know, there's still early days around NFTables. Uh, some of the command line stuff needs to be worked out, some of how that works. There's some unintuitive bits, especially if you're already familiar with IP tables and kind of the defaults, the default chains and, and tables and things that already exist. Um, but I'm really excited. What, what struck me is like it looks, it looks like NFTables and like the NFT command. There's going to be a lot of things that we can do with this. In more intuitive ways than we can now. In particular, I think this this article highlights that, uh, you know, if you want to do kind of traffic control things, there's the TC application, which mm-hmm, yeah. is part of IP route 2. Uh, but it is one of the least intuitive command line applications I've ever used. If you, if you if you actually need to do things with it, I would definitely recommend something like Fire QoS that can help automate that in a sane way. But not only is um, the way NF NF tables uses netfilter to accomplish some of the same things. Uh, easier to do. It looks like it's actually a little more performant. So uh, that story on Linux might be getting a little bit better, which I think is great.
0: Did you see the part here? And I, I, I just sort of uh, read the highlight of this section because I thought I'd pass it on to the audience. Uh, he also performed uh, DDoS protection testing to see how NF tables stood up versus IP tables, and get a bunch of different ways to see how they handled it. Um, and I, I, I took away that essentially uh, NF tables probably would handle this better. Uh, in an actual situation but uh i don't know i, I thought i would list all that in there cuz part of part of what he tested to see was like you were saying is tc and i don't know and blacklisting ip addresses in real time and stuff like that and cycling through 100,000 packets per second using right. package gen and just all kinds of cool stuff the way he set this up so it's a fascinating read if if you guys uh want to want to uh, want to read through the whole thing. The TLDR might be um, the most prominent information to draw from the experiment is that similar, uh, that similar IP tables and NF table setups are comparable in performance. NF tables is usually a bit behind, but given that the development focus at this point is still on functionality, like you were saying, it's going to be changing. Uh, IP set is a blessing to any IP table setup. NF tables follows their path with their native implementation and sets and their concepts. Uh, then NF tables could be in a great spot, too. Um, I'm not conv- He says he's not still convinced of his uh, his test results. He still thinks there's uh, probably no point in breaking a leg over implementing something in TC if the same thing is possible in NetFilter. That yeah, that's a good summary. It's a good post. And it looks like, uh, I don't know, you, you, if you're considering setting up a Linux firewall, you might want to read it and just decide, depending on what your scale is, what would work for
1: you. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I, you might be And surprised. it might be
1: we're getting close enough maybe now at, in a similar vein to Wayland perhaps where, you know, especially if maybe for home use right i don't need i don't have crazy you know uh performance concerns for my house exactly so I, I, I might be the time where i could convert over to you know nft and yeah. see what happens and start just sort of learning now and then because that's kind of where things are going yeah right i mean it'll be years yet i'm sure before yeah. i want it on a production yeah. server but yeah. someday yeah. yeah yeah one little story before we go oh your buddies that
0: sound. your buddies over at uh, gabe's office are uh, working on some big updates to the Steam client. I saw this over on GamingOnLinux.com and I'll just cover a moment of uh, what they are planning to do because it's from them.
3: Another thing we're working on is a major redesign of the Steam client, which is probably far overdue. Um, so that includes a redesign of the whole Chrome of the Steam desktop client. Um, but I think the probably the most relevant and interesting thing for you guys is going to be the the redesigns that we're working on for the Steam library section in particular. So once a customer owns your game, what is that experience like in Steam? Talking to developers, obviously. So, um, let's get forward a couple there. So, there's kind of two big parts of that update in the library. One is going to be a new library home screen. Um, if you've used Big Picture mode at all, um, and you go into your library, there's kind of a similar thing that's in Steam Big, big Picture mode, which surfaces games that your friends are playing right now, it surfaces things that you've recently played, it surfaces update recently updated games. We're taking that and we're building on that so that when a customer comes and logs into Steam, if they really just want to go back and play the last game they were playing, it's super easy to launch it right from there. We're not making that any harder.
0: I'm going to leave the rest of the video for you guys. It's 42 minutes long, so I'm not going to play all that <laughs> in the show. Uh, but good to hear that a uh, update's coming, and yes, it includes one to Linux. That's kind of nice. So it's good to see that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you uh, are you much of a gamer, was? Have we ever talked about that? I don't think we've really... We haven't really done a gaming episode since you've no, been a host. we haven't really. Yeah.
1: You know, I am I don't I don't get to very much time to to play games these days, but I do really enjoy it. And I try to find he, time here and there on the weekend uh to do it. I'm I've not yet set up my new place. I've not yet set up my my gaming tower, but it's on the list of things to do, so maybe we can do that here shortly. Yeah. That would be, you know,
0: maybe one day. Maybe people don't love it, so we'll just do it no. sparingly, yes, but we would love it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, that sounds like great fun.
0: Uh before we go, I want to mention that we're doing a little sweepstakes for a <gasps> Dell XPS 13. No way developer edition, which means one of the Linux
1: machines. You've heard Chris talk about it. Now yeah. you can have it in your hands. Yeah, Spick and
0: Span, brand new one, shipped directly from Dell. Now, this is U.S. residents only. This is uh, this is just sort of the way that this particular one has to be, and you have to be 18 years or older. But uh, if you're in the U.S. and uh, are perhaps interested in getting a Dell XPS 13, you can enter the sweepstakes to win. Go to JupiterBroadcasting.com, click on the Shows menu option, and choose the User Air drop-down and uh then you can uh, enter to win there and uh, we'll be announcing it here soon before i think uh I think it's yeah, it's coming up now since i won't be here you probably won't hear much about it next week so i just wanted to mention it now because it's a great opportunity and then stay tuned to the user air program for the winner yeah we'll be announcing it in there we just also last week user air went out a little late so episode 16 desktop as a surface went out user air 16 uh includes things from Like more discussion about LTS overrolling, particularly in certain production environments. Uh, The east-slash-west divide of Linux that seems to keep coming up. Uh, Two different types of cultures that are clashing there. We talk more about the uh, Linux laptop survey, and actually we really dug into that for a bit. And then end up with Microsoft's desktop-as-a-service announcement and sort of how that affects Linux users, maybe perhaps good and bad. So it's a pretty great episode of user air, It's episode 16.
1: I know what I'm doing after the show.
0: You know what I'm doing after the show. I actually have two ribeyes from the barbecue last week. Whoa! Cooking in the sous vide machine at right you. now. So when you're doing tech snap, I'm going to be uh, finishing those up. I am still eating off of the extra food. That's like, amazing. Bits. Of course, I'm I'm fasting too here and there, but so it stretches it out. But yeah, there was just so much good stuff here. Really great, great people, great time. It was such a good time. So if you if you missed last week, go check out last week's episode. Of the Unplugged program. It was a lot of fun hanging out with them folks. Well, Mr. Wes, I, I just uh, just mentioned it there. Uh, people can find more view on the TechSnap program. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned. You and Dan doing that. They do it live right after this show. So if you want to come next week and uh, hang out with uh, Wes and his special guest and then just stay tuned, keep it up, and uh, you just get to watch the TechSnap program. Yeah. No, it's, back it's to back. Awesome. You are a busy man. You know it. Back to back right there. You can also participate in the Mumble Room, uh, Bang Mumble, when you're in our IRC room, which is, again, it. JBLive.tv and the lives, our live times are all posted at the calendar at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. You can also go to our subreddit, LinuxUnplug.reddit.com. You can leave us feedback at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. You can tweet me at ChrisLAS, follow the network at Jupiter Signal. I won't be here next week. I'll miss you, but the show will go on. That's right, it will. And I think it's going to be a really good one. Oh, yeah. First Classic. time, first time special guest on this show. So that's gonna be that's gonna be really cool too. It's a first time special we'll, guest. We'll
1: we'll put them through their paces, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm
0: sure we will. I'm sure we will. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Unplugged program, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Goodbye, everybody! boy the chat room was punny today look at these titles a fitting fedora the new fedora fits well fedora's new hat trick oh man most of of these bad ones are ww's fault no i'm kidding (laughs) ouch (laughs) jamie now we gotta go pick our title
1: hey hey at least i didn't I'm not the one that came up with Boltron. Yeah, you can't
0: blame me for that. That Boltron title, though, I kind of liked it. Like I, I got it because like bolt on, but it's Boltron, which is even cooler. Those Fedora guys are working on some good yep. stuff over there. I'll tell you what, that really is impressive. Uh, I cannot believe that I have pushed a Fedora server install that far, running like Nextcloud and all that stuff. Like it's, that's you know, maybe it's the new way. Maybe it's the new, it's the new normal. I don't know, or maybe I'm lucky
1: the hipster bsd <laughs> it was easy i will say while you're doing that i installed uh, obs on the fedora no super easy they actually have instructions that just add which the version RPGs. can you see which version it is i just rebooted back to arch okay. so i can't um, I'll but i'll check later through. that's cool that's cool that's cool
0: uh, this on our production one here is 19.02
1: okay
0: 1902-1 javi the fedora the tree speaks fedora the tree speak fedora what is that a reference to the tree speaks fedora
2: i don't know <laughs>
0: i'm not sure either five people seem to think they get it though because it's got five <laughs> votes it's like the number one title well, I it's, don't...
1: it's the wallpaper it's oh the wallpaper. that means federal
0: right it is a nice wallpaper i will say that though that title though is such a head scratcher when you see that you know what's funny i I honestly 100 thought that was a, it's like oh wait up, uh, nope trees yep that was interesting yeah i get it now xm i get it now okay Oh, remember how how I have ribeyes cooking? <laughs> oh, uh, rolling pain. It's not bad. Rolling pains. Atomic fedora. Fedora's tree line. <laughs> fedora incubator. Um, does Boltron bend the Fedora fiasco? Fedora, Fedora, Adora. Uh, ah, JBtitles.com. JBtitles.com. There's a lot of titles. A lot of titles. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put. There's a lot of titles over there. Uh, there's a lot of titles not saying that much more than it's that it's crazy though. crazy <laughs> it is crazy Yabby, Yay. so here i handles. also
1: appreciated this Fedora handles uefi very nicely that, mm. well, let me just say that i like that a lot because mm. uh, it did not screw up my arch ufi install and gone are the horrible days of overwriting different bootloaders and things it's that like nice, i just dude. picked the yep. one you yep.
0: know boom yep that does feel like the future a little bit doesn't it
1: yeah finally